Welcome to Table Talk, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the dynamic and exciting restaurant world. We sit down with industry leaders as they share best practices, highlight smart solutions, and discuss strategies for growth, ultimately helping food service operators learn how to affect positive change and grow their business. Now, here is your host, editor and publisher of Food Service and Hospitality Magazine, Rosanna Kyra. Today, I'm happy to have with me here today for our Table Talk podcast, Paula Allen. Paula is Senior Vice President of Research, Analytics, and Innovation at Morneau-Chapelle. In this role, she manages integrated analytics, predictive modeling, and data-centric products and services that support the organization and its clients. Paula's focus is on the current, emerging, and most complex issues that have the greatest impact on workplace health Um, cost and productivity. She's also a well-recognized expert in workplace mental health, disability management, and drug plan management. Paula designed and led the most comprehensive employer response to the H1N1 pandemic and is currently Morneau Chappelle's business response and resource lead for the COVID-19 pandemic. Good morning, Paula, and welcome to our podcast today. Good morning. It's a pleasure being here. Well, I know these are very unusual uh, and turbulent days that we're living in. So I'm sure that um, your company is dealing with some of the repercussions of that from a mental health perspective and and benefits area. So I thought we'd start today. Um, I believe, you know, we tend to think that mental health issues aren't as pervasive as they are in the workplace. And I think COVID-19 has probably impacted this and made everything even more Uh, tenuous. But in recent years, there seems to be a greater awareness of mental health issues in the workplace. And, you know, I believe over the last year, there has been so many articles, there have been so many articles written on mental health, um, you know, not just from a a younger demographic, but across the the range of of the ages. Uh, Would you say that you would agree with this perspective that we seem to have a higher, more acute awareness of this today than in, in previous years? Oh, without question. Uh, like some time ago, it would, and it really wasn't all that long ago, uh, when organizations spoke about mental health, they were speaking about it more in terms of giving a donation to a charitable organization as opposed to really looking at the needs of their own employees. And, and certainly that's changed for a number of reasons. Uh, one is that we've actually seen some very practical indication uh, that people are struggling, a number of people are struggling with increased disability claims that are directly related to mental health. Uh, when we did, and when we started to do analyses uh, and saw that a lot of disability claims, a secondary factor was related to mental health, uh, that got employers' attention in terms of you know, just basic cost as well as the impact of mental health issues. And then subsequent to that, um, additional research uh, came out that, that really let, let everyone know that in a workplace, one in three employees either currently is dealing with a mental health issue or had dealt with a mental health issue at some point. So, you know, we weren't really talking about a small portion of the population. We weren't even talking about only the people who go on disability leave. We were talking about people who are coming to work every day 
and are struggling in one way or another, you know, hopefully having it managed through care and, and self-care as well as professional care. Uh, but this is a very real issue for virtually every single workplace. And it has taken us a while to realize that. Is there a, um, an age group that is more pervasive when you look at the demographics? Um, in the past year, I've heard specifically a, a lot about the younger demographic having a lot of issues. Um, is this relegated to, to one group or is it pretty much uh, broad-based? Well, I guess the best answer for that is both. <laughs> so it is a broad-based issue. In every age group, we have we have concerns. In every age group, we have diagnoses, we have risks. So it isn't just uh, an issue for any particular group. What we have seen for a while, though, is that our, the younger demographic has a number of mental health risk factors um, that are fairly significant and are really kind of showing themselves in, 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 in concerns in, in, in that particular demographic. So one is isolation. You know, there is um, greater sense of isolation. How our society has evolved is keeping us more, you know, to ourselves. We don't have really all, all the social contacts or the depth and quality of social contacts that we used to. We don't necessarily have... Um, the structures such as churches and, and things of that sort that gave us a sense of belonging. Uh, so isolation, definitely. Anxiety is much more prevalent uh, the younger you are. So young adults uh, tend to have more anxiety symptoms. Uh, so there, there are a number of things that show that our, the, our younger cohort is, is really at a, a bit of a higher risk uh, than those who have maybe you know, lived different lives when we were a different society, um, have experiences and realize that they were able to cope through experiences and have built resilience as a result of that. Um, but the isolation in the younger cohort is definitely a driving factor in the mental health issues of that group. So what I hear in, in your answer, I suppose, is there's also more of a... Um focus these days on technology. And it seems like the technology is also succeeding in isolating us a little bit more. Um, whereas in the past, we didn't have that same issue. Is that right? It's changed and, and uh, the quality of relationships. So, you know, there, if, if you, if you interact on a one-on-one -on -one basis, if you get to know people deeply and can care about them deeply, um, if you have that kind of you know face-to-face -face contact and, and the ability to sort of touch and hug another person, that gives you, that feeds you in a much different way than a technology-based relationship. So, you know, I, I am not anti-technology in any way, shape, or form because I actually think it's how we use it that makes the difference. So if you use the technology to sort of keep in touch with people and arrange to have that contact, if, you, if, if it is a portal to something else and, and enables your, your relationship to flourish, that's great. If your technology is used really as a way to only, well, not use as, but it's a result of your use of technology and gives you only superficial relationships, that's where we're seeing uh, more of a concern. That makes total sense. Um, and when you look at the, the, the sexes, is, uh, is mental health something that affects both sexes equally 
or is there, you know, are there more women suffering from mental health issues or more men? What's, what's the, um, what are the results on that? Well, it's a very complicated question, actually, because number one, the life experience of one gender um, and what another is, is, is different. So there are different strains. Uh, there are, are different factors. Um, there are differences um, in hormones. There are differences, just generally speaking. I would say the biggest difference, however, is uh, help-seeking behavior. So our numbers overrepresent uh, female, the female uh, gender and anyone who identifies as female. Um, but there are some clear indications that it really is that help-seeking behavior. Because very unfortunately, when we look at statistics related to suicides, um, really one of the highest risk groups are um, males in their 50s. Wow. So, yeah. So this is, you know, in working years, in that, that age group, uh, male, and, and very often and very tragically, uh, these are people who might never have actually sought help. So they come as a statistic and uh, as being quote unquote fine. Right. It happens. So I, I really do hope that over time we're going to balance uh, the, the genders across the board in terms of help seeking behavior, because that, that would be at everyone's benefit. And I would assume probably just based on, on how things progress, um, men probably don't ask for help as often as women. Like women probably go in, you know, even to the doctors, women go to doctors a lot more often than probably men do. Would it be the same sort of thing that's kind of uh, making yeah. that issue more complicated? It is, it is, it is definitely speaking. Um, there, there, there are initiatives that actually have come up, Grow Matters, um, the Movember movement. It, it also, so, so there is an awareness that um, men need that sense of safety in order to reach out. Like it, it's, it's, it's one of the, 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 the clearest indications that we still have a lot to do in terms of stigma. So you mentioned, you know, evolution in the workplace. One of the positive things is that we see that stigma is starting to be, is starting, starting to reduce it's actually still highest in the workplace. Really? And it is, it is. Like when people think about social stigma or, you know, when they relate to self-stigma, you know, feeling badly about yourself, uh, if you were to have a mental health issue, all of those things are, are, are damaging um, because they prevent help-seeking behavior. Um, but the highest level of stigma is feeling that you're gonna be treated differently in the workplace as a result of a, of a mental health issue. And we certainly see that um, men internalize stigma um, and feel that a little bit more significantly, which is really one of the barriers to help-seeking behavior. Stigma kills. It really, it, as, 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 as bluntly as that, feeling that you, that, that the consequence of reaching out is worse than the pain that you're feeling is something that ultimately leads to damaged lives, unnecessarily damaged lives, and unfortunately um, can bring people to the point of taking uh, their own lives. Well, that makes total sense. And, and we're the, you know, probably worst culprits because we bring that on ourselves too. It's the fear that we don't know how we're going to be treated, right? Yeah. So, go ahead. <laughs> no, you go ahead, please. No, no, go ahead. I was going to jump in with another question. So you go ahead. Yeah, it's, it's the fear of not knowing. There's, there's, stigma, again, it's, it's a very complicated issue. I mean, again, I mentioned just briefly, so I'll go a little bit deeper into three areas of stigma. 
So one is workplace stigma. So we mentioned that being treated differently or having and differently and more negatively um, as a result of having a me mental health issue, career prospects, et cetera. Um, then there's that social stigma that others in the community would see you as, as different. And, and actually within that, we found that there's a good portion of people who actually feel that their physician would treat them di differently and more negatively. So there's some work to be done there. Not that physicians actually would, but right. there's that feeling that that would happen. Uh, so, you know, to address that, I think it's very important that, that you know, there is active communication about mental health. There is context setting around mental health so people know that it's not, uh, it, is, it isn't, isn't anything that um, one should feel ashamed of. It isn't anything that's rare. Um, and that kind of active communication, so it's easier to have those conversations around mental health, it's, it's easier to feel uh, that it's okay to reach out, are also important to the third type of stigma, which is self-stigma, which is where you feel badly about yourself, even if no one else feels, you know, discriminates against you. Right. Uh, that's pretty intractable. I mean, that really is where you're internalizing something uh, in society, even if some even if society has moved on and is in a better place. And that's the hardest thing to really change is that internal stigma, because you're fighting against yourself. Right. It's, it's difficult to break that. But, you know what? We learn everything. You know, babies are born into this world and they just are. <laughs> I am who I am. I exist the way I, I exist. Right. And we learn things over time about what's good and what's not good. So I do think that there is a societal responsibility. There's a role that workplaces can, uh, can, uh, can play. There's a role that each of us as individuals can play with each other to unlearn that unhelpful behavior or that that's that's amazing. It's really interesting, um, you know, the, the perspectives that you're shedding on this. So so thank you for that. Um, so when I when we talk about mental health, it's a very, very broad term and there's all sorts of different um, levels of it and, and, and things like anxiety, depression, schizophrenia. Um, you mentioned a lot of younger people deal with anxiety. Um, is, is that like the biggest area that you're, you're seeing in the workplace or are there other um, factors that come into play in the workplace? Can, can you maybe give us a little bit of a distinction between those different areas? Um, well, what we are seeing is that, the, that you know, there, there's been some uh, labeling and some, some insight into what we call an anxiety epidemic. Um, so when you are younger, you know, uh, younger adults tend to have a higher propensity towards anxiety. And as one goes old, gets older, uh, there tends to be a higher propensity towards depression. Right. Um, so we are seeing that a fair bit. And part of it is life stage as well. Like there's a fair bit of uncertainty. There's an, a, a, you know, a number of stress factors. Um, but in the workplace, we see everything. So anxiety, uh, depression, um, you know, organic-based disorders like, you know, schizophrenia, uh, bipolar disorders, across the board, anxiety and depression are without question the, the number one. And the one point that I'd make about that is it, it's, it's, I almost feel uncomfortable 
actually uh, just saying anxiety and depression because it sounds like there's two things. And but there's within those labels, how depression presents for you could look very different than how it presents for me. Right. So we, you know, in the workplace, you know, we see, um, you know, very often a high functioning depression, which is very difficult for people to detect other people. You don't necessarily see that, you know, drop in performance. You don't necessarily see that that kind of um, lethargic uh, uh, presentation. Um, you know, people with high functioning depression are often your, your top performers. Um, they're really? your perfectionists. Um, they're the, 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 the people who are, are, are driving constantly. At, you know, they, they might be suffering and probably are suffering quite, quite significantly. But, you know, they have short term uh, coping strategies that you might not see. So, uh, you know, drinking or gambling after work. Um, and then they come into work and they're still tough. You know, it, 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 it's something that we're becoming more aware of in the workplace that you, you can't assume that you, you know what depression looks like or you know what anxiety looks like. It's the pain of the individual that tells you. The signal, though, is often if somebody's behavior changes, like you're, they're used to, you know, they, you, their personality, their approach, their energy used to be in a particular way. And it's different now. Um, but that difference doesn't necessarily need to go in only one direction. It doesn't need to be, for example, productivity drop. It could be kind of a hyper productivity. It could be that, that workaholism that we talk about. It could be a number of different things. But that behavior change is often the only signal that we have externally. That's incredible. So it becomes a lot more um, difficult really to spot because, you know, people are very good at covering it up, I suppose, is what, what you're saying, really, right? Well, think about it. There's a lot of things that are difficult to spot. You know, your cancers are difficult to spot, but we actually, we, we make sure that we are paying attention to those, those signs. And there's a circle um, making sure that we're paying attention to those signs. So, you know, I'm aware of certain signs that would make me go to a doctor. That's my responsibility. Um, my physician is aware of certain signs and is, is looking out for me. Others around me might know certain signs. So the same thing that we would have for something hard to detect, like, like cancer, you know, until the last stages, it's easy to detect. Same with mental health. It's often hard to detect in the early stages, but if if we take personal responsibility, if the medical um, the, uh, community is also taking that responsibility very specifically, and if those around us also see that sense of responsibility where we're looking out for each other, then we're, better, we're much better off. Makes total sense. Thank you. Um, so obviously the, the, you know, the effects of depression and anxiety are multifold. They, you know, they affect people's lives, uh, their partners, their, their people and their family and friends. It also has a huge toll on the actual workplace in terms of uh, lost productivity. So I was reading a study recently by the World Health Organization, and they showed that the estimated cost to the global economy was something like um, $1 trillion, you, you know, American dollars, uh, in lost productivity. Do you have any statistics that would show what that translates to in Canada? Uh, how big an impact that would be? 
Um, 50 billion in, in Canada is, is a number, but that's a number that is most often quoted. Uh, but it's a few years old, so I'm sure it's a little higher now, you know, just with inflation and population increase. Uh, you know, I think, I think from a, um, if you actually look at it from a workplace point of view, on average, and this is across the entire population, uh, so not one individual, uh, we're looking at lost productivity, you know, between $1,500 and $2,000 per employee per, per year. Wow. And that, that's made up of a number of different factors. There's uh, disability costs and people going off on short-term disability and long-term disability. Um, there's the use of uh, mental health uh, medications, um, which we want people to use if they have, uh, if they have a need to use, but it is a cost uh, as well. Um, there is absenteeism, like one day and two days off. There's lower productivity in terms of just errors and energy um, uh, that, that people can apply to their, their work. Um, it's, and, and actually that kind of productivity cost is one of the highest ones we actually are able to, 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 to measure it. So the cost is significant. Like even if you take aside the, the quality of life impact, um, the ethical uh, you know, drivers of addressing uh, mental health, um, the societal need, there's a definitely a hard cost that employers face. And beyond that, that society faces as well. Because none of that number that I had mentioned uh, includes things like emergency room visits, physician visits, use of health care, um, the fact that, you know, with a mental health uh, issue that's unaddressed, if you have a physical health problem, it's probably going to last longer and would be more, 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 more costly. Uh, participation in the economy, going out to stores and restaurants and things of that sort. So the cost is astounding. So again, so many reasons to address mental health, um, but this is one that obviously can't be ignored either. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty mind blowing in terms of the numbers. It's huge. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the workplace itself. What kind of workplace issues typically lead to risks for mental health? Um, because you know we we hear a lot these days about more stress in the workplace, especially with. Um, you know, reduced employees and greater workloads for people, managing your personal and, and professional lives has become so much more tenuous than it has been in the past. What are some of the issues that are really driving this from the workplace perspective? Well, um, we actually recently did a survey and we asked employees whether their workplace helps or actually harms their mental health. The good news is that the majority said that their workplace actually helps their mental health. So almost 60% said that. Um, and what was helpful was basically the social support that they get from work. Uh, a manager who listens and respects, colleagues who work with them and they, you know, getting that sense of accomplishment, uh, feeling that their employer, you know, cares about their personal well, well-being and is able to and does provide resources and information for them to help manage their mental health more effectively. So those resources, the training, the workplace environment, um, and again, particularly the, re the relationship with a, a supervisor was all call called out as being helpful 
and mental health. Um, for those, and it was 25% that said their workplace was actually harmful to their mental health. And very largely, it was the opposite. It was in communications, not having, not being recognized, um, not being having that sense of being valued, not being heard, uh, not having that social support. Uh, there were things like, um, you know, uh, work volume uh, and, 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 and just the strain of work itself. Sometimes people are dealing with very traumatic situations just because of the customer service, like call center representative, things of that sort. Um, but when you had that social support, when you had that environment that was positive in your workplace, when you had your employer, um, you know, supporting you with resources, it helped balance that out. But when you had, when you didn't have that, and you were just there by yourself, you were isolated, and even your interactions with your employer, you felt minimized. That's where people felt that their workplace was actually harming their mental health. Okay, well, that makes total sense. Um, so let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the COVID-19 world that we're living in these days. Um, obviously, the last three months have been stressful for all of us, you know, um, both from a personal point of view and from a professional point of view. There is so much fear. There is so much anxiety going on these days. There's the isolation of being at, in lockdown mode for the last three months. How would you say the COVID-19 pandemic has affected the mental health and wellness of Canadians through this uh, very difficult period? Well, actually, I don't even need to say that. I say how it is. We have evidence of what has happened. Um, so we, um, and when I say we at Morning Chappelle, uh, we launched uh, the Mental Health Index. And this is something that we've been preparing to launch for quite some time. Uh, and the reason why we, we were preparing to launch it and why we felt it was important is that consider the conversation that we just had. Consider all the reasons why mental health is important. Uh, it was astounding that there really wasn't a consistent measure of what mental health, the mental health of Canadians, in particular working Canadians, are. Uh, is. You know, if something is important, you measure it, you, tra you track it. It's important to understand whether it's improving or, or declining and what the patterns are, what the drivers are. So the Mental Health Index is, is meant to actually provide that information. So um, we take a poll of uh, 3,000 uh, working Canadians and look at the things that we, have, through our research, know are indicators of mental health, um, anxiety, depression, uh, optimism, isolation, a number of different factors. And what we found is that in April, which is when we were getting into the pan pandemic, uh, the mental health of the nation overall declined significantly compared to the benchmark prior to 2020. So in our language, it declined 12 points, which is absolutely massive. And to give you a sense of what that decline means, the population in April of 2020, and from a mental health point of view, was looking similar to the first percentile, the most distressed 1% prior to 2020. So that tells you about how, and, and we, we, went, we went further actually, and we asked people specifically uh, whether this COVID-19 pandemic was impacting their mental health. We found 80% 
almost 81 percent actually said that the, the pandemic was having a negative impact on their mental health. So those two numbers kind of go you know, very closely to, together um, and really sort of was a massive wake up call. Number one, for us, we would have expected that the pandemic would have had an impact, the, the amount of change, the fact that we weren't prepared for this. Um, the type of change, the, the amount of um, you know economic as well as personal uh, uncertainty, all of that are, are 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 big red flags for it being a major risk to people's mental health. But the size of the decline in such a short period of time, impacting such a large proportion of the population at the same time, those are the things that were surprising to us. And I think a big wake-up call about how we as a society, as employers, as individuals, uh, need to be more very active in making sure that the impact of pandemic doesn't last much longer than the pandemic itself in terms of uh, in terms of how it impacts our mental health. So this is, you know, that's only after a month, basically, when you did this research. And we've been in lockdown for three months, and we still really don't have a clear sense of how long this is going to last. So we're looking at potentially pretty high, you know, negative results for the next little while. How do we, how do we cope through this kind of period? I mean, 80% of a difference is huge. And what, what does that mean for us moving forward, even just from an employer's point of view, what should we be doing differently to, you know, to, to deal with this? Because let's face it, a lot of this is out of our control and we're just victims of it um, primarily. So what, what can we do to alleviate some of that uh, huge um, impact? Well, first I'll comment and then I'll answer your question. So I think the first thing is that very unfortunately, sometimes takes a crisis for us to pay attention to things that have always been important. And what we what we have been seeing is that people are paying attention to mental health because it is such a pervasive issue. Like I said, we're eighty percent. We're talking about four and five. We're not talking about the one and five that's often quoted as people having mental health issue within a twelve month period of time. Uh, and employers have stepped up. You know, we have employers who are offering employee assistance programs to part-time and even casual employees, uh, contract employees, uh, because they know that the, the strain of a pandemic is significant and they wanna make sure that their people have resources. We've had the government of uh, Manitoba and Ontario offer um, uh, internet-based cognitive behavioral therapy program available free to all residents of each of those provinces recognized. And that was that that, that again is a is a recognition piece of the impact of, of this this pandemic and the need for people to have resources. So there is that heightened awareness that I think is a very good thing. And I think employers and governments are really, we're not going to go back, just like we're never going to go back to um, pizza boxes where you can tamper. <laughs> They're all going to be tamper-free going forward. We're not going to go back to a place where mental health is not re recognized as critical to productivity and well-being and, and, and also quite, quite fragile. Um, I, I think in terms of what to do, we have to actually look very closely at why the pandemic has impacted mental health so significantly. So there's two big, big reasons and, and, and you know, 
many more on top of that. One is that the, the extent of change in our lives is, was massive. Um, so how we work, what we do with our time, how we live, what like every aspect of life was was impacted and, and is and is different. And 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 most people would have heard at some point that change is stressful. Any kind of change is stressful. You know, positive change is stressful. But the level of change over such a compressed period of time, it takes us a while as human beings to adapt. Like we have routines, we have you know, a sense of predictability. And then when all of that is taken away, that's like pulling the rug right, right under mm-hmm. it. That's a perfect trigger for great anxiety. You have to rebuild a lot. Like you have to rebuild your routine. You have to be conscious of what you need in a day. You know, social support, fun, um, activity, physical activity, a sense of accomplishment. And you have to be active in sort of building all of that back. So the change itself is a huge trigger. The other point that makes this um, such a such a challenge for mental health is that it, we weren't really prepared for it, and we didn't have any control over it. So you know, things that are expected that you prepare for, you know that that can still affect you, but it doesn't affect you in the same way. So I'll, I'll give you a, a dramatic example. Um, if my grandmother, who is elderly um, and has not been very well, if she passes, absolutely, I would feel grief. The whole family would feel grief. But there was some expectation that that was going to happen at some point in time. Um, if I, my teenage son uh, took my car and was killed in a car accident going to work. That's, that is a whole different level of right. trauma. That is a whole different level of trauma. Like even me just saying that right now, the, the emotional reaction is quite different. Right. So that unexpected, uncontrolled, unfair nature of it, that is another thick layer on top of, of, of this pandemic. So I, I think the main message is that we are all human and these things are going to affect us. We can't be passive in how they're affecting us. We can't, just like we can't just sit and just, you know, let the virus do what it's, do it, what it, what it, what it does, which is replicate and make people mm-hmm. ill. Uh, we have to have each of us a plan around how we're going to manage our day. We, each of us have to be aware of the fact that the rug has been pulled out from under us in terms of our emotions and our mental health. So actively just make sure that if you are feeling that sense of overwhelm, go out, speak to someone that you have conf- that you have confidence in. If it if it continues to feel like you know your behavior is changing, that you're more angry as a person, that you're more frustrated or anxious as a person, like none of this should change who you are. If you're getting that sense, then you really need out need to reach out for professional help. The last thing that I'll say about this point is that our research has also shown that one of the strongest drivers of the decline in mental health has actually been our financial uncertainty. So other drivers for sure, there's other risks for sure, 
Um, but the financial uncertainty has been the strongest driver. And that was true in not only in Canada, but the U.S. Like it was, it was, all, it was every, every geography, U.S., Canada, Australia, U.K., because um, those are the four geographies for the mental health index. So having that plan and that sense of control around your finances is really important as well. So even if your own finances might not have been impacted, the general uncertainty in the environment is impacting you quite likely. So just your contingency plans, taking stock of your finances, doing the things that we all should be doing anyway, helps bring us that, that sense of control, which is ultimately what we need to, to feel, control and predictability, because that's what was taken away. Sure. No, that makes sense. Um, when you talk about your mental health index um, and you look at the industries out there, how does the accommodation and food service industry rank in terms of the level of stress um, and, and how it's being dealt with? Uh, do they follow the top of the index or the bottom and the middle? Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, for, uh, for very good reasons, again, when you think about the strongest driver being change and economic uncertainty, there is definitely a continuum across all industries. And I would say accommodation and food services uh, we probably had the biggest change, you know, complete shutdown. There's no opportunity to work from home if you're a restaurateur. Um, people are not traveling, so hotels are, are, are empty. So the change is significant, then the financial impact is significant. And we're seeing that in the mental health index result, results. So uh, that, that industry sector is actually one of the lowest, if not the lowest, in terms of um, the, the mental health scores, which means the change from prior to 2020 has been the most dramatic right. in, that, in, that, in that area. Um, and uh, um, again, just month over month stress has been quite, quite significant there as well. So I'm glad that you raised the point because, you know, the pandemic is impacting everyone. But where you sit in terms of your work, in terms of your economic status, really does make a difference in terms of how this is impacting you. And, and quite clearly, accommodation and food services um, is in a much dire place than many others. Arts and entertainment is, is similar for exactly the same reasons. Right. So from a perspective of, you know, the industry is known for long hours. Obviously, it's a 24-7 business. So there's a lot of stressors at the best of times, never mind now during COVID. Typically, how does the industry um, deal with, with mental health in, in its workplace? Are the programs that operators have in place, are, are there a lot of operators that have these programs in place, or is that more of the uh, rarity than the norm? How, how do you see that? Well, there's, there's a range, and I think a lot of it is that, you know, and, and it's, it's very hard to compare um, somebody who is an owner operator in a small business to a larger chain. Of course. So, you know, that's one, one factor. Um, but we have seen some uh, large organizations, um, some hotel chains really step up uh, and, uh, you know, essentially be leading edge in terms of just realistically um, looking at what it need, what they need to, to support their people. So, um, one factor is that if you're 
in accommodation, if you're in cleaning services, you're not going into an office, you know, your, your schedule is different. You're not necessarily working with other people. So your typical way of, of having health and well-being programs, you know, on-site seminars and things, that's not going to work. Um, so use of digital technology. So um, uh, like an app, uh, or our organization is partnered with a number of um, accommodation organizations with our LifeWorks app. And basically what it allows people to do is at the palm of their hand, get resources. So information on topics, uh, chat with a counselor two, three minutes, very privately, nobody else can hear because it's, 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 it's chat. Um, you know, breathing exercises, if you're feeling anxious, uh, information around everything in terms of mental, physical, social, financial health, again, all in the palm of your hand. So it really is the concept of, you know, people need support. And if you are in an environment and if you are in a job where your hours are scattered, if you're where you're going to be is changing all the time, you need to have that support come to you and be available to you 24-7, very easy, very mobile. And, and that we've seen as, as, as something that, that, um, that organizations have done. Um, the other thing that I would say is manager training. Uh, so training managers on mental health issues. What does it look like in the workplace? What is the role of a supervisor in terms of stepping in if they see that behavior change? How to have that critical conversation so people feel supported as they feel corrected as opposed to feeling crushed. So that, that investment in, in people leaders is also something very strong that we've seen a number of leading organizations do. So there is quite a large range of difference, obviously, in a big company that can offer employee assistance programs and a smaller company that maybe can't afford to do the same level. But moving into this recovery stage that we're now kind of inching towards slowly, um, what do you suggest some of the things that smaller operators, as they go back to work, can do to ensure that they're not missing any signs because their focus is gonna be so uh, scattered on you know, resuming business, putting protocols into place, you know, cleaning protocols, um, you know, recouping all the losses that they've had in the last few months. They may miss something along the way with employees. What should they be on the lookout for, I guess, is the question. Well, even before looking out, I think one of, one of the things that employers need to, to think about is that this is a very difficult time for employee, employees. And even though everybody wants to get back to work and you know economic stability, people are still quite afraid. Uh, so they're afraid of getting ill, they're afraid of bringing virus back to their homes and perhaps you know, elderly parents or children. Um, uh, they're concerned about the behavior of the, of the public, and, and very often, quite rightly so. So, uh, there, there, are, there are a whole bunch of things and a whole bunch of emotions on top of the fact that the you know that drop in mental health that we saw with the mental health index, even as we're opening up now, we haven't really seen it improve. So, even as we're seeing signs that we're kind of coming out of you know the most dire dire phase, right? You know, the anxiety, the depression, 
um, the, you know, the, 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 the impact of optimism really has not changed. Like literally it's been, this, it's the same. So with all of that, I think it's important for employers to have that in their minds and to take a mindset of being empathetic. Like put your place self in the place of the people that you're dealing with. That will open up what needs to happen, which is to listen when somebody has concerns as opposed to brush them off and try to, you know, put up, put the happy face on. Listening is sort of, sort of important because that will guide you in terms of your, your next step. Um, if somebody is truly, uh, truly uh, 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 suffering uh, and you see that their anxiety is high, you see that their behavior is not the way it was before, EAP to tell you the truth is not terribly expensive. Like many organizations brought on EAPs. If that's still not feasible, um, there are resources out there in the community. And there is an app uh, and a website called WellCan, W E L L C A N dot C A. And there you can get resources. So a number of organizations, including ourselves, or sort of was were, were the driving forces. When we saw that this drop in mental health, we realized that a certain portion of our Canadian population has EAPs, they have resources, a certain portion of the population doesn't. And, and whether you're in one group or you're another, your life is just as valuable. So WellCan was meant to help support the community who does not have that resource. So going there, you'll see some of the things that I mentioned to you before, you know, articles, information, you know, things that can help you, you know, just even by yourself. But then there's also access to community resources, you know, rather than having to search and try to find resources, community resources that are high quality and effective. Are, are, are noted there, so it's easy for people to find. That's a great resource, and I'm glad you shared that so that operators listening can, can take advantage of that. Um, I guess to wrap up, when you look at everything that's happened in the last three, four months and just the road ahead, and, and you know it's going to be a rocky road ahead, I think, for all of us as we go back to some kind of normal, what would have been some of the lessons that you've learned through this time? And... Um, and maybe just a last kind of piece of advice for operators welcoming back their employees in the next few weeks. Um, I mean, obviously the resource is good, but any anything that you've learned as a lesson that can be applied moving forward? I, I think one of the things, and I'm just talking off the top of my head right now, I think the, one of the things that I've been really um, quite heartened to see is that employers really truly do care about the well-being of their employees sometimes even if it's not obvious that they did <laughs> so this this crisis has been um it, it's been it's been really kind of earth shattering and in the conversations that i've had with employer employers the majority of those conversations start with how do i make sure my people are okay so that is Great. That is a wonderful starting point. And again, I think what this has done is that that intention around caring about your people might have always been there. But right now, it's actually translated into action. People are doing things to support their employees. They're expanding their coverage. They're having this more, uh, this, this approach to empathetic conversations. They are training their managers. You know, they are really realizing that the, 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 
there's no possibility for their employee that their business to be successful if their people are not okay. So all of that is really something quite quite positive. I think the other um, lesson learned is that you don't have to overthink everything. So what 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 COVID did is it kind of gave us a bias to action. Like we just didn't have time for big committees to do stuff. We just had to do it right. Um, so it's progress over perfection, which is something that I didn't come up with, but I love that that that, that term. Uh, and I've, I've seen this as well with the well-being and mental health of employees. Like sometimes employers say, well, I have to do everything perfectly. I have to make sure that I have this, you know, five-year plan. I have to, and all of that kind of went away. And people were just saying, what do my people need? They need support. Um, they need resources. They need this continuum of resources because some of my folks are okay. Some are in full crisis. Um, I, I, I need to make sure that my people, my, my managers are, 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 are well equipped. I need to communicate in a way that shows that I care to my people. So the very basic important things are got executed and are making a difference. So we stopped overcomplicating action around what we should do anyway, which is to support each other. And that's a, a, a positive thing. Uh, and the third lesson learned, I would say, goes back to um, the mental health index, which is, um, again, we knew uh, that COVID, for all the factors that we talked about before, was going to have an impact. We didn't know how significant it would be. And I think it is a wake-up call um, about the importance that, of every single human being having an action plan to actively invest in their mental health. It's not an issue for a small proportion. We had a change that impacted everybody at the same time. But after COVID, we're going to have situations that might impact you in September, me in May, somebody else at different times. We all have a level of risk. We just generally don't know what the threshold of that risk is until we've reached it. So having a plan and being able to invest in your mental health and also feeling comfortable if you're not able to, to do that on your own, but to reach out is important for virtually every single human being. And I'm hoping that that lesson um, resonates and stays in the minds of, of the population long after this is over. Well, I think that's a great note to end on. Um, Unfortunately, our time is up, but I did want to thank you, Paula, for being here today to, uh, to bring really some great awareness to this issue for all of us, uh, employers and employees alike. Obviously, um, you know, the stressors of daily life in this new normal have really increased substantially. And, um, and I think you've given us a lot of great, um, great thoughts to, to really think about over the next few uh, weeks and months as we go into this uh, recovery period. And hopefully, um, you know, as bad as COVID has been, perhaps it's opened the doors to, to some greater understanding on, on various issues that are really, really important. So thank you for your time. Thank you for your energy and your insights. And, uh, and above all, stay safe. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of the Table Talk podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to rate and review our show. Also, make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button. For additional resources related to today's episode, please visit our website, foodserviceandhospitality.com. Until next time.